pretty familiar to a lot of people. And it's only found within the Gospel of Luke. Matter of fact, within the Gospel of Luke is where we find most of the parables some of us are most familiar with. We're looking at the Good Samaritan this morning. Like I said, it's only found in this particular gospel, but Luke also captures the parable of the prodigal son, also the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. This particular parable extends from the return of the 72, which we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks, and Jesus turning his attention to the disciples and telling them how blessed they are because they are seeing things that many prophets and kings desired to see. They were getting to experience it firsthand. And after their return and Jesus' announcement of a blessing to his 12 disciples, a man shows up, beginning in verse 25. And he stands up to put Jesus to the test. Verse 25 tells us that he was a lawyer. The word lawyer there in the Greek is to let us know that this is someone who is well-versed and well-educated within the law of Moses and and God's law, and and he spent time reading it and studying it. Like lawyers in our day-to-day, they understand the laws of the land. This particular individual would have been highly educated in the law of land of Jesus' day, which was God's law. He would not... He would have been titled lawyer not only because of his knowledge, but his ability to teach others the understanding of the Word of God. And with this, he comes to Jesus with a question. But we have to understand the question wasn't for his own personal understanding. It wasn't for his growth. Rather, it was a question to fulfill his own pride and self-righteousness. We can come to this conclusion through Jesus and their interaction with one another And also the way that Luke describes it when he asks his questions. Verse 25, he stood up to put him to the test after they have a brief exchange. Verse 29, he says, he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus. In other words, he wasn't coming to Jesus out of respect. He wasn't coming to Jesus for his understanding of the law. He was coming to Jesus with his own evil intentions. Though the man asked Jesus a question, what we're going to see is Jesus responds with a question of his own. Jesus, being God in the flesh, would have known this man's intentions, but what we find through this interaction before Jesus gives the parable is Jesus kind of plays along, even though this man wants to test him and this man wants to justify himself. So let's read it, and then we'll walk through it. Behold, a lawyer stood up to him, to test, to the test, to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to them, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and we saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. 
but a Samaritan. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. What a great question. Coming to Jesus in verse 25, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What a great question to ask the Son of God. A great question to get understanding. And so Jesus responds to this individual who he would have known to be a lawyer, who would have been well-educated in the Word. He responds with his own there in verse 26. Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? How do you interpret it? To the Jews and to Jesus and to this particular lawyer, the law of God was the way of life. It was the instrument that God gave to his people so they could live a life of all things which pertain to holiness. Jesus' question was also his answer, and he paved the way for the parable. The law and the word of God is the measuring rod for everything we do as God's people. Something in life may feel good. It may sound good. It may even look good on paper. But if it doesn't match the word of God, it's sin. It doesn't matter how it feels, because there's a lot of ideas out there that sound, feel, and look good. But when it doesn't measure up to God's word, his standards, despite how we feel about it, then we can know, well, that's not of God. For example, when you go to the book of Genesis, the fruit in the garden, guess what? It looks good but it led to a lot of problems. Jesus' response to this man in our day and age would be, well, what does the Bible say about it? This man's testing of Jesus was a means of trying to prove himself and his own self-righteousness. And here's the thing, anytime we try to prove ourselves to God by our means rather than what God says, we are always going to end up on the wrong side of things. You can see by the man's answer to Jesus' question. He was indeed well-versed. The answer he gives is what we may know as the great commandment. And is a part of the law which the Jews used to sum up the entire meaning of the law, the entire purpose of the law, the, the way to live a moral and holy life. And so here we find Jesus playing along with the lawyer, and he, he commends him by telling him that he has answered correctly. But notice what he says after that in verse 28. Do this and you will live. And this is what's going to set up the parable because there's a difference between head knowledge and having heart knowledge. Head knowledge fills us with information. Head knowledge gives us the ability to answer questions correctly at church or in Bible study. Head knowledge gives us the ability to say and do the right things when we know what we should say or do. Head knowledge enables us to rattle off answers and sound high and mighty and spiritual, but head knowledge has to move us to heart knowledge because heart knowledge moves us to action 
And Jesus' response caused the lawyer to ask yet another question there in verse 29. And who is my neighbor? Again, it seems like this man is wanting understanding from Jesus, but Luke lets us know he he asked this question to justify himself. And how would Luke come to that conclusion? How would he get that understanding? We believe that the Bible is written by men, but is given by God through the Holy Spirit. And so Luke is led by the Spirit to give us this background information concerning the lawyer. This man was a lawyer. He was a Jew through and through, loving the Word of God, knowing the Word of God, studying the Word of God. He would have kept to the law. But the thing about Jewish people is sometimes they felt, well, I only have to do the things of the law to other Jewish people. I only have to follow the Word of God for people who are like me or people who agree with me. And so this man comes to Jesus with his own preconditions of an answer. His belief would have been, and he's really trying to test Jesus with this question as well. But what defines a neighbor would have been another Jew? What defines a neighbor would have been someone that he could agree with, that he could get along with? Yet at the end of the parable in verse 36, Jesus once again asks another question to this man. When he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? You notice that the lawyer can't even bring himself to say it was the Samaritan. All he could say is the one who showed him mercy. And so Jesus tells this parable to show the real meaning of love and mercy and who was a neighbor because Jesus isn't concerned about what we know, but rather what we do with what we know. Are we actually going to understand the law and live the law and apply the law? And so this parable begins to be set up like a bad joke. You would read it today like there's a preacher and a deacon and there's a sinner walking on the road. That's probably how Jesus would have told it in our day and age. The road Jesus speaks about within this particular parable, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a 15-mile journey to which Jewish people traveled all the time and priests and Levites traveled daily. It is believed that at one time there were over 12,000 priests and Levites living in the city of Jericho, but their primary duty had to be done in Jerusalem, and so they would travel along this road. And for each man, the priest and Levite, they would either be returning from fulfilling their religious duties or heading to Jerusalem to fulfill them. Either way, they were busy. Either way, they had things to do. And since the parable does not mention which way they were traveling, we don't know which way they were going, but each of them, the priest and the Levite, were giving duties. And these duties were things they would have to keep to in order to make them ceremonially clean. Jesus doesn't tell us the nationality of the man who got beaten, but it can be assumed that he was a Jew as well. And so here we have a priest who would have to render sacrifices at the temple, and then the Levite would be an individual to help the priest in doing the sacrifices. These two men were at the top of the religious lifestyle for the Jewish people. The mentioning of these two types of individuals within this particular parable is to make us think, if these two can't get it right, then who will? Surely they would act in such a way that would be pleasing to God. Surely they would love their neighbors. Surely they would do the right thing since they were responsible to lead the people of God and offer sacrifices for the people of God. Yet, Jesus says, they each pass by. 
The priest sees the man beaten and moves to the other side of the road. The Levite comes along. He sees the man, but the reading there in verse 32 says, when he came to the place and saw him, implies that he was right there standing over this man who was half dead, and he moves to the other side of the road. Now, a Jewish individual might rationalize, again, well, they had things to do. They had to keep themselves ceremonially clean in order to do their God-given tasks and calling. But remember the answer the man gave originally. The great commandment, and then he ended, and your neighbor as yourself. Being obedient to the law of God is, is not just loving God, but it, it is to be extended into people that God has brought into our life. And so it raises a question Is there a time when the love of God can override the love for a neighbor? According to Jesus in this parable, the answer is no. Because they are to go hand in hand. Now when Jesus introduces the Samaritan, that may not mean much to us in this day and age there in verse 33, but to introduce the Samaritan into this particular equation is to introduce the black sheep. Jews hated Samaritans. They looked at them as half-breeds. Jewish people would have no dealing, no conversation with a Samaritan person. If a Samaritan individual invited a Jew over to their house, the Jewish individual would not go. They would believe to be in the presence of a Samaritan would make them unclean before a holy God. They believed the Samaritans were heretics that they were children of the devil, having no love for them. This is why when we look in John chapter 4, and Jesus has this encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well, it's why she's so taken back and so uh, amazed that he, a Jewish man, is even talking to her. And that he, a Jewish man, actually asked her to give him water. But it's in the parable that the Samaritan, who acts as the hero and the one who loves. He comes to the man. He doesn't avoid him. He takes care of him there on the road. He gives up his own animal so that the man can be carried to the next town or the next inn. He, 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 he takes on these inconveniences. And then when he gets to the end, guess what he does? He pays for the man's expenses himself. And he tells the innkeeper, hey, when I come back, just take care of him. And when I come back, I will pay anything else that is due. And so Jesus places the Samaritan as the hero of the story. And he's pressing on some very sensitive issues to this lawyer and all the Jewish people that have been listening. In other words, Jesus is beginning to step all over these guys' toes. But just like Jesus and God does with us, God is never aiming for our toes. He's aiming for our heart. Because he's after our heart. And once Jesus gets to the point, you've got to love his question. To this lawyer, well-educated individual in verse 36. Which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. 
he's basically got this man in a situation he's already said the greatest thing to do is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus gives this parable, and he's at this place where, am I actually going to answer the Samaritan? He can't even bring himself to do it. The one who showed him mercy. Again, Jesus gives a command much like he did back in verse 28. At the end of verse 37, he says, you go and do likewise. No doubt the man's answering him, Jesus, would have been difficult to do. As we read his answer, we can even pick up that he is not wanting to even mention the Samaritan or his nationality. He couldn't bring himself to say the words Samaritan, that the Samaritan loved more than the Levite. The Samaritan loved more than the priest. Just the one that showed mercy. And it's to reveal the hatred that the Jewish people had for the Samaritans. He wasn't going to say, hey, the Samaritan got it right. The Samaritan's the hero of this little story and this illustration what we see is this man had allowed his heart to become so corrupted by his culture that though he knew the law and though he knew what it said, he couldn't bring himself to actually live out the law. And yet Jesus' command for him was, go and do likewise. The response of Jesus to all that took place within this conversation with the lawyer tells us that head knowledge is worth nothing if it isn't followed by action and application. You can know hundreds of memory verses. You can know all the orders of the Bible. You can know stories from the Bible, events that happen in people's life. And you can have all that head knowledge built up, but if it doesn't lead you and me to action, if it doesn't lead us to application, it's worth nothing. Let's put this parable in today's standard. We'll make the priest a pastor. We'll make the Levite a deacon or an elder. And we'll say the Samaritan, the Republican, a Democrat, a homosexual, an atheist, an agnostic, a terrorist, or someone of another world religion, which we might be tempted to look down on and think that they're the enemy. Now, that's the nerve Jesus would hit with the lawyer. To make an individual you're completely opposed to, you think is completely disgusting and worthless. They're the hero. They're the one that loves. You expect a pastor or a deacon or an elder to act in a loving way, just as we would expect any Christian to act in a loving way, but... When we become corrupted by our culture and our pride, we end up putting blinders on. That keeps us from loving. I mean, have you ever wondered why people turn to homosexuality or other world religions or other ideologies or people turn to the government before they even turn to the church? I don't think the issue is that we don't love God. I believe we love God just as much as this lawyer loved God and he loved his word and, and he, he studied it and he read it. 
The lawyer held the word of God in such a high standard. He knew it and he taught it. He had a love for the written word. But the issue is if we do not love people, no matter their affiliation, the same way God loves them and loves us, because we've marked them as the enemy, then we're just like the lawyer who has head knowledge and not heart knowledge. And I understand that we, we don't agree with certain lifestyles. I understand we probably don't agree with certain political figures. But our enemy isn't a political party or a politician in office. Our enemy isn't the atheist or the agnostic or the Muslim or the Buddhist or the Jehovah Witness, the evolutionist, the homosexual, the transgender. The Bible says we only have one enemy, and that's the enemy of God. And Satan, and, and when we hate and show disdain or blame other people for whatever they're doing with their life. We're only allowing ourselves to feel hate for these individuals, and the Lord specifically commands us to love them. I believe we do it because it's easier to blame someone or something we can see, but our true enemy is very deceptive. He'll allow us to point blame on anyone as long as he can get off the hook. The enemy Satan is very much alive and active in this world and he tips individuals to live in sin and to deny God and his word. Satan is alive and active, but let's not forget, so is our God. And he sits upon the throne and he will not be moved or shaken. And our God who loves us loves the people we love to point the finger at. He died for him, just as much as he died for us. This ties this parable to what Jesus said to the 72 when they returned and were amazed that they were able to cast demons out in his name. And Jesus told them in verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So what's the problem with blaming people that we disagree with? We don't get along with. When we blame someone for their struggles with sin, it's very difficult to love them. When you blame someone for whatever they're wrestling with, whatever lifestyle that you don't agree with, whatever doesn't fit with the word of God, and and you just get mad at them and you call them wrong, it is very difficult to love them. You know, God has his measuring rod. That's what the word is given for us. He has his, his illustration and definition of sin, and that's not going to change. God doesn't condone, condone certain action by, griefs, by, by certain groups. He doesn't agree with certain beliefs or politics or ideologies of certain people. He doesn't stand in agreement with certain decisions that people make in their life. But again, he loves them. He loves them. And so we have to be aware that we could be just like this lawyer and our hatred or disdain or disagreement can put blinders and we can fail to love them. Last, <laughs> last week I was spending time with this parable. <clears throat> And God put a question on my heart. Is there someone I'm so mad at 
maybe hate, that I would act just like the priest and the Levite and go to the other side of the road. And one individual came right to my mind. And I'm not going to give you his name, but it was a situation that led to impacting our family and ministry in an incredible way. About left the ministry. And I knew I had to reconcile with him and ask for forgiveness. So I started calling people that made no way to get in touch with them. Finally, I I got in touch with a a man who uh, knew how to get in touch. He gave me his number, and so I, I called this individual up, the guy that laid up on my heart. He didn't answer. I could say, well, I tried God. You know, I, I did my best. Called him again. Didn't answer. He probably thinks I'm like a potential spam caller because my phone number's not in his phone. And probably like, well, I don't know. So the second time I called, I left a message. And so I'm going to call you back in five minutes. I got something I need to say to you. So I waited a few more minutes. I called back. He answered. And I struggled to get the words out, but I told him I need to forgive you and I need you to forgive me because I have not had any sort of love in my heart towards you. And I won't tell you the rest of the conversation. But after I got off the phone, I felt released because I showed love to a neighbor someone I had allowed 12 years to have an impact on my heart. God's word says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It says in 1 John chapter 3, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And you know how Jesus destroyed the works of the devil? By showing the love of God. That God loves enemies of his. And that he died for people who actually did works of the devil at one point in time. He loves us. <clears throat> and what Jesus also does for us in this parable is he defines what a neighbor is. A neighbor is anyone. Hear that again. Anyone that God has brought into our proximity. Anyone. We don't get to decide who God brings into our life. I mean, if you look at America today, America is a melting pot of religions and ideologies and thoughts and, and lifestyles and things like that. Have you ever wondered, why does God keep bringing all these things here? So we can love them. And we can lead them to him. Because one thing I've learned in my life, that it is only God who could change hearts. And it's only God who can change directions that people are living in. And if we're not willing to show them the love of God, to be their neighbor, 
who will. Our Savior is known to be a friend of sinners. There's a, a, a saying that Paul wrote in one of his letters where he said that he is the chief of sinners or the greatest of sinners, that he is completely the worst. The Apostle Paul, who was commissioned by God to write the majority of the New Testament, says that he is the chief of sinners. Now, if he's the chief, then I don't even think I'd get on the scale. I don't even think I can make the list. Again, God doesn't approve of sinful decisions, but God is fully aware of what causes men and women to make sinful choices and to do things that we might disapprove of because God knows who the true enemy is and he knows the only one that can change an individual's heart, change an individual's direction in life is if God can get a hold of their heart and they can understand how much he loves them. And guess what? I've said this so many times the last several weeks. Guess who God wants to use to do that? Us. He wants to use us. To go to the people that just may not know better. Because no one's ever shown them the love of God and told them that God loves them. And allow God to use us and the power of his word to change their life. The hero, in fact, of this parable is the Samaritan. But we know the hero of our story is our Savior. Jesus came to save us from our enemy. We all do things that we shouldn't do. We all mess up in sin, but Jesus came to take our sin upon himself so we might be completely forgiven. And it isn't by going to church, doing enough good things that we can find forgiveness. It isn't about knowing things about church, knowing things about God, or knowing things about Christianity that makes us saved. It is only by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says that he is the only way to the Father. And there is an enemy in this world, but he has been defeated, and Jesus wants to give you the victory that he won through his death and resurrection. And if you have yet to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here not to attend church today, but to begin a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And the Bible says we first must admit to God that we're a sinner. There are things in our life we're not proud of. There are things in our life we struggle with. There are things in our life we don't want to talk about because we know they weren't right. And the Bible says once we admit to God that we're a sinner, we must believe that God sent his son Jesus Christ to live a sinless life. So that he could die on the cross, they placed him in a tomb, he rose three days later to show that he has the power over death and the power to forgive sins and the power to grant eternal life. And if you're here this morning, you've yet to confess that to God, admit that you're a sinner, believe that God loves you that much, and confess Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here today to make this the day of your salvation. But maybe you've already done that. Is there someone in your life if they were struggling or hurting or in need and you would just walk the other way? Is there someone in your life you need to ask for forgiveness for? Because you have no love in your heart for them? I promise you it will set you free. And you don't have to carry that burden. I'm going to ask Nick and Bridget to come up and lead us. And if you need to come down, I'm going to invite you to come.
Let me pray for us real quick. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for working on my heart before I could even preach this message. And Father, I pray that we be a people who are known by our love for each other and our love for this world. This world is hurting, and people are hurting, and they're just trying to find meaning and purpose. And Father, we know our purpose in life is being in a relationship with you, so help us to go out into this world and not to condemn them or judge them or belittle them, Lord, but to love them. And maybe that just means to begin loving them in prayer. Lord, forgive us if we failed you in any way. And if there's someone here this morning that the Spirit has grabbed a hold of their heart and they know they need to begin a relationship with you, I pray they walk down this aisle and be eternally changed. Forgive us if we failed you in any way. And we praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.